If I was a teacher, it'd be good morning, Mr. Barnard, wouldn't it? But, um, morning, well, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Fantastic. This morning, we're going to be looking at amazing grace in a field of snow. Isn't that wonderful? Can I just commend to you last week, Steve started the series that we have on Galatians. It was, was it good? Say yes, because he's here. It was very good, wasn't it? Um, if, if you've got computers, you can download it. If you need a CD thingy, then um, I'm sure that's available. And if you want a tape like me, then, uh, oh dear. Wasn't it fantastic? So just, just a little reminder. Um, in this life, we need Jesus plus nothing. nothing. That's right. So Jesus and good works, yeah? No. Jesus and, no. Jesus and nothing. It's all about Jesus. Let's just pray. Let's, let's talk to this lovely God of ours. Holy Spirit, fall. Amen. Galatians 1, verse 10. This is Paul speaking to the church at Galatia. It's good. It's going to be very interactive this morning. Anyone who isn't interactive will be picked on at the end. <laughs> for now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to still please man, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached to me is not the man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age of my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart from before when I was born, he who called me by his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son Jesus to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles and not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia. And then I returned again to Damascus, and then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter in the Bible, the big mouth, and I remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the apostles, other apostles, except James, you know, Jesus, his brother. In this I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to, into regions of Syria and Sicilia, and, it was still un, I, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea who were in Christ. They were only hearing that it was said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God for his wonderful word. Amen. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, this is true. You can build your life on this. Proved it. Build your life on it. Everything else. Yeah, this is what we need to build our life on. The word of God. And Jesus also is known as the word of God. Verse 10, for, I'm, for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? 
Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Straight in this morning, no easing, no softening down. Here's a question. Where do you get your sense of approval from? Where do you get it? No softening up. Where do you get it? Where do I get it? Where do we get our affirmation? Are we always trying to please man? No. <laughs> trying to please people and help people is good. You know, that's a good thing to do. I'm not knocking that. But if the fear of others and the need for approval is at the core of what drives us, we need to repent. We don't need a cuddle from Jesus. We need to repent. Come into this more detail, but our approval and our standing is based on one thing alone. We are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, You know the nice guy who died for us? Yeah. We are in Christ Jesus. We do not stand in our own righteousness. How often has the fear of man ruled my decisions? <laughs> Lots of times. Now I've really been grappling over the last few months with what the fear of man really is. And one of the conclusions I've come to is the fear of man is actually a kind of pride in me that I want to keep control. And I can be fearful of these people keep control. And I don't realise that actually it is God who is in control. And all people are under his sway. If you want to meditate on a proverb for a couple of weeks, here's one to pop in your notebook. Proverbs 21.1. Dear NIV doesn't give us a very good version of this, but it says in here, In the Lord's hand the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. Kings and rulers can have their plans, but it is God who channels that for his purposes. God, it is him who rules over all creation. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it, or the fullness thereof, in the proper version. And all who live in it, everyone and everything, is under the sway of our Lord God. Therefore, we can trust him. The Old Testament, which is the front bit of the Bible, talks a lot about Israel's history and so forth. Throughout there, there's lots of examples of kings and, and lords who are trying to rule and do things their way, but they were all under the sway of God's hand. There was a man called Joseph, and, and, and God got hold of this, this lad and uh, showed him pictures and visions, and he was cruelly treated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was, again, he was mistreated. He, seek to, he sought to honour God, and he was falsely accused of stuff. He went to prison. He tried to help. He didn't get out of prison. He had a pretty rough time. I wonder what Joseph's prayer life was like. But eventually, when it all came together, Joseph said to these brothers who'd sold him into slavery, he said, you meant this for bad, but God meant it for... I tell you, I am battling with this one at the minute, okay? It's, 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 it's bloody and messy, but I believe it's true. You meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. At the very end of the Bible, there's a book called Revelation. And you see there that the devil, boo, boo, okay, um, is, is doing all this stuff, trying to destroy people, mess things about and so forth. But ultimately, God is using it all for his purposes. Tilt, I don't get it, but it's the truth. God will bring about his purposes. 
I've been looking at this for the last few months, just trying to get my head around it. But we can only see things from our own perspective, natural, maybe a little bit of spiritual perspective. We see things, we talk in our household, one-dimensionally. But we are constrained by our natural perceptions. We're constrained by time. But our God, he doesn't just see the bigger picture. He is Lord of all. Do you sit there at home sometimes going, well, we've been praying for our son for years, but God sees the bigger picture. Yeah, but actually, he sees it all. He's not just constrained by my view of a bigger picture. Psalm 18, 31 and 32 says this. Ta-da. Thank you, guys. Do bless you for doing that. For who is God beside the Lord? Answers on a postcard. <laughs> and who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps me secure. Brothers and sisters, it is God who arms you. It is God who strengthens you. Despite the grief, family disappointment, the arthritis, it is God who strengthens you. Because he is a good God and he is for you and he is a gracious God. He rules over all. Did you know that he said that his perfect love will cast out all fear? Because fear of a man is a snare. Anyone still working that through? I've, I've completely sorted it out. I'm there. <laughs> Philip Miranda up here. I'm there. No way. Our God is a God of grace. That's why he won't try and wrestle control back from us. He is a God of grace. He invites you, whether you're saved or even if you don't know what that means, he, he invites you to let him lead you and to let him fill you to find your value in him. Right, Christians, how many of you love Psalm 139? No one. Oh, that's good. Two. Hey, you know that you formed me in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, it's, it's a great psalm, isn't it? I love it. It's quite fun. Don't tell anyone. But I really love it when someone starts reading that psalm in worship. It's never happened here. They get near the end where they start talking about God destructing his enemies. They go, oh, God, you may be wonderful and destroy your enemies and rip them their insides out. And, oh, dear. Whoops. It's really funny. No one's got it, but never mind. <laughs> it's really funny. But it's saying here, here is David. He, he's, he's, he's praying about the, destructions of, the destruction of his enemy. But he is an incredible king, this man David. He is an incredible leader. And this is what he says at the end of this amazing psalm. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Deep breath. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It's a risk, but we have a God who is a God who is full of grace my christian friend check out your motivation me check out my motivation against that could i say lord god you know my heart <laughs> test me know my anxious thoughts lead me in verse 11 I've let you guys down here because i said 10 but in verse 11 it paul says i want you to know brothers that the gospel i preached is not something that a man made up. You see, the Bible is not made up. It's not in the notes, but 2 Peter 1, 21 talks about the word of God being inspired, inspired from heaven. This is the one true gospel. 
It declares and tells us about God the Father, Jesus Christ, his only Son, and the Holy Spirit sent forth. It tells us about a God who is longing to restore a relationship with mankind, or in English, you and me, especially people who feel they've messed up. Gospel is not a fairy story. It's not a manual for weak people. I think it sometimes looks like it's a bit of a manual for weak people. People need a bit of a crutch because they're a bit useless. They need a bit of a Bible. No, it's not. You ever notice something about Paul who wrote this letter to the Galatian church? He was not a weak guy. He was a strong guy. He was a powerful man. He was a single-minded man. And he was like that before and after he had met with Jesus. He received his revelation of Jesus direct. And we even today, even today, even in the middle of Wimbledon week, we can receive a revelation of Jesus. There was a man called John. He was probably Jesus' best friend when Jesus was on earth. And John wrote the book at the end of the Bible called Revelation. I've said before, it's not a revelation of the end times. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't worry about how many days and weeks and all the rest of it. Get a revelation of Jesus and the rest will follow if it needs to. But John was Jesus' friend. You know, he lent on him. They were really, they were really friendly. But John had, John had been brought up traditionally as a Jew. He knew the law and he knew one thing, and that is you do not worship anything but Yahweh. You worship no one but God. And he has such a revelation of Jesus, his friend, who was a man, and now he sees glorified in God, that he falls down and he worships. You don't do that unless it's God as a Jew. He knew that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God and his only response was the girl on his face before his friend and now his king. God opened his eyes. God can open our eyes. God can open our eyes to see Jesus, to see Jesus, this glorified one, so full of grace. And our only response is to worship. Jesus wasn't just a good man or a superhero who died on the cross for bad people. He was the son of God and he is alive today. Jesus Christ, the same. Well done, team A. (laughs) Get up, have a prize. Hmm. See, Paul was breathing out threats to the followers of Jesus. Then he encountered the one he was against and it changed his life. Paul didn't enter MasterChef and it changed his life. He met Jesus and it changed his life. He experienced such a depth of the grace and the forgiveness of God, which we'll look at a bit later. You know, before we meet Jesus, we tick along, don't we? Good days, bad days, it's life. But when you encounter Jesus, it demands a response. Because there is a difference between the one true gospel of Jesus Christ and just practicing religion, just turning up on Sunday, just doing charity work. It's about Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says this. Paul says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Some of us have been around the church. I know I do this every time. And I say, how many of you have been in the church for years and years? And you know, me and Maggie put our hand up and go, oh, here he goes again. <laughs> many of us have been around the church for many years. And some people are fresh. Welcome. You're not going to have the baggage that some of us had. <laughs> Paul had been around you know, the, the, the synagogue, Pharisees, all this for many, many, many years. But then he received, he received a revelation of Jesus. It was so complicated what they had to do, what they had to tithe, what they had, the rules and the regulations. But he received this revelation both, both from and of Jesus Christ. Don't we long for that today, to have a real revelation of Jesus, to know his grace coming into our lives? Have you received that amazing grace? Or do you see this Jesus, you see this God as a bit demanding, a bit angry, I need to appease him, go to church, be good, give more to charity. You can meet him today. We can pray for you at the end. And I'll tell you why we can pray for you at the end, because... People like me and Steve and I, we're just ordinary people, okay? <laughs> Good days, bad days, make mistakes, go to the shops, go to the bathroom. But we've met with Jesus. We've met with Jesus, which means we're not special. <laughs> but he is special because it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. 29 years, 10 months, and 14 days ago, I had a revelation of Jesus and it changed my life. It's changed every decision that Julie and I have ever made. Financial, where we live, what we do, family, everything. I long for that again. <laughs> Spent years looking for the experience, and you have to learn through maturity. It's not about looking for the experience. But I had an encounter with him. I tell you, it's the most precious thing ever. Later, we're going to read where Paul stood before Agrippa, and he says, Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. I tell you what, that's what gets me up in the morning. Especially on the bad days. When you meet with him, he radically changes your life. It's not something you can sum up. It changes everything. Give us the privilege of praying for you at the end of this service. Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus. Before, he was religious. He was zealous. He was passionate. He was vicious. He was violent. He was cruel. He was evil or evil. <laughs> he wasn't a very nice person. But God had had his hand on his life since the beginning of time. Just, didn't it do your head in when you look at the story of Paul? Let's have a look at it. In Acts 26, Paul has had this encounter with Jesus. He's uh, joined up with the disciples. He's gone off on his own for a while. And then his Pharisees, his old mates, get a bit angry that he's promoting Jesus and they're going to lose their place of power. So they arrest him. There's all sorts of riots and stuff kicking off. I mean, it's just, it's just, it'd make a great movie. <laughs> Brad Pitt starring as Paul. And um, he brought before these different kings and princes and so forth and he gives, his, he gives his defense. So let's just read Acts 26 to read the story of Paul. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defence. That's a cultural thing. I'm going to speak to you. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today to make my defence before the accusation of the Jews 
and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of my religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of the hope of what God has promised to our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise of our 12 tribes who are hoping to see the fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do that. Sorry. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. And on the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Hang on a minute. This, this, this guy is an apostle. He's responsible for murdering Christians. Amazing grace. Could I do that? I wouldn't have that grace, I don't think. What an amazing grace. Here he says, Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Wasn't hanging about, was he? On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as, about noon, 20 minutes to go, <laughs> is it going to be coffee or is it going to be encounter with Jesus? Both would be nice, actually. Isn't that right, Steve? <laughs> Presence of God and a double espresso. <laughs> yes. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun. Interesting. Blazing all around me and my companions, we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, which was Paul's name originally, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. You're kicking against everything. Then I asked him, who are you, Lord? That's a lot of pastoring dealt with quickly, isn't it? Meet with Jesus. Who are you, Lord? Rather, yeah, but you don't understand. I've had a really bad family upbringing. And you don't understand what it's like you know, to have drunks in your house. No, no. He met with Jesus. Who are you, Lord? Oh, Lord. And he says, oh, I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. Do you think Paul went, at that point? Oops. But here we go. I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. Now get up. Not wallow in how needy you are. Just get up. Stand on your feet. God says that to me sometimes. Just get up. Stand on your feet. Stop wallowing in it all. That is a word, isn't it? Guys, we need to get up and stop wallowing in all of our pain and difficulty. So I'm going off message now. Might develop that. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, as in a witness of what you have seen of me, and I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Oh, hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. It doesn't, wasn't a God just for Israel. It's for all people, Gentiles as well, us lot. Thank you, Jesus. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem, and to all in Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. For I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ should suffer, and that as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus, this is another guy, interrupted Paul. He said, you're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning has driven you insane. (laughs) What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? (laughs) Paul replied, short time or long, I pray that not only you, but all those who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Leave it there. Oh, that everyone hearing my voice today (laughs) would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord of their Saviour. See, Paul tells us, you know, he's been jealously seeking God all his life. He's doing what he believes is the right thing. But he violently reacted when when, when the Christians were saying that Jesus was their Messiah. He did everything in his power to contest and fight against this young church, not realizing that the very one he was persecuting was on his case. It's called grace. Why didn't God just strike Paul dead yeah, and punish him for consenting to the death of so many? It's called grace. It's called grace. It's unlikely that we've got many murderers in the room today. Put up your hand. But the Bible says... Put your hand down, Sarah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes, my Lord, it was Sarah. But the Bible tells us that we were all born sin. It doesn't matter whether you've been in prison or whether you're a charity worker. We were all born sin. Romans 3, 23, 24 says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came from Christ Jesus. Romans 6, verse 6, this is great. You see, you see, at just the right time, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Thank you, Lord. Romans 6, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that magnificent? Isn't that wonderful? Then Romans 6, these are little jabs, and smack, here it comes. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
People, Paul could write about the grace of God because he had experienced the grace of God. Later on, which we come to, Paul actually confronts other Christians with their behaviour. They're, they're kind of drawing back to traditions and they're starting to put in rules and regulations. And uh, Paul goes and gets stuck in. He doesn't hang about. But unless he'd known that ongoing gift of grace in his own life, there is no way that he could have gone and disciplined his friends. How do you think Paul would have felt going into a room? There may have even been people in that room whose relatives he'd consented to die. Thought about that? Just awful. And yet in the grace of God, the staggering grace of God, he could stand there, a new creation in Christ Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we saw the the DVD up there, didn't we, with Tim Keller talking about the prodigal son, prodigal father, however you like to take it. If you didn't see the DVD, see Steve or Stevie, and now surely then get your copy to look at. He talked about the two brothers. One needed to repent of his sin. No, they can see you, Steve. It's just nice to see you. (laughs) There were two brothers. One was full of sin, nasty, dirty. The other was full of his own self-righteousness. Was it just me that gasped? <laughs> yeah, my goodness. Paul was gripped, gripped with a passion for Jesus, gripped with the fact that he had been chosen before the foundation of the earth. Now, interestingly enough, and whoever's preaching next week will probably cover this as well, so I'm going to take it all and do it now. But <laughs> he didn't rush to get involved with the other apostles. He, he, it, says, it says that for three years he kind of disappeared. And then he came back and he spent time with, Je- with Jesus' earthly brother just for a couple of weeks. You see, Paul didn't get bogged down with, oh, I've met Jesus' brother. So exciting. He walked with him. He talked with him along life's narrow way. He, he, he didn't. He, he wasn't caught up with the sort of the excitement of that because he was secure in who he was in Jesus Christ. You know, if, if, um, if you know, Tim Keller or Billy Graham is your best friend, that's fantastic. But make sure that your relationship with Jesus is the number one priority. Not, oh, I really get along Steve and we, we pray a lot because, you know, him and I are a bit like that. No, it's our relationship with Jesus first. And relationship with one another is extremely important too. But first, it's with our King Jesus. So you can have an encounter with Jesus and then you start chasing after these famous preachers or getting into God TV and I must get more and more and more and more and more. No, 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 no. Just take this. If you can't read like I couldn't, get some tapes or CDs. Just listen to the Bible. Talk to God the Father. God, if, if you exist... Hello. (laughs) If you're real, can you sort of show me some way? Talk to Jesus Christ, his son. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand this book. He wrote it. So it's like when J.R. Rowling reads Harry Potter. She wrote it so she can read it (laughs) in a way that people will understand. I mean, to me, but... (laughs) Be committed to the local church. Don't get involved in Christian celebrity culture. Get involved with Jesus Christ and his local family. Stay focused on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 
end of verse 1 and 2 says this. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run the race with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, wow, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wouldn't you like a friend who sits down at the right hand of God? He's my big brother. (laughs) Get hold of Jesus, receive his grace, live in the rest of his grace. Talk to myself, don't do stuff to try and please him or through the fear of man. You can't earn it. It's just God's grace. Here in the grace of God, I stand. Not here in the grace of God, I rush about to prove something. If you're a follower of Jesus, serve from the position of sonship and from the position of freedom. Receive his grace on a fresh and daily basis. Verse 23 and 24, we see that the ultimate outworking of the plan in God's life, in Paul's life, was to bring glory to God and to achieve God's greater purposes. No one is beyond the grace of God. But we have a choice to respond to God's invitation. Ultimately, all the glory will go to him. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, I sometimes read, say that, and it's quite exciting, but actually that's terrifying too. It's terrifying because people who haven't met him here will meet him. Are you going to meet him as friend, or are you going to meet him as foe? book that I was sort of dipping in and out of recently was talking about um, someone that said, oh, I'm a bit scared of God. This kindly person came alongside and said, oh, don't be scared of God, because Jesus is your friend, and he died on the cross, and he really loves you, and and he's for you and not against you, and don't be scared of God. You know, you're you're his son. He loves you. I think we need to be a bit more scared of God, actually. We need to reverence him. We need to honour him. Not in fear and trembling, he's going to whack me, but, whoa, Lord, you're, you're God. You know, you are Lord. You, you know, wow. Whew. He, 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 he can't entertain sin, you know. That's why we need the blood of Jesus Christ. Serious days, folks. Serious truths. Demands a response because Jesus offers his grace. For Paul's final testimony was to point to Jesus. All the glory and all the praise goes to Jesus Christ. You know, if you experience something of Jesus and, and, and it's really great and you want to share that, that's fantastic. But make sure it's him that gets the glory. Do you know those testimonies we used to go to in the 70s and 80s? Well, I did this and I beat up all these people in my motorbike gangs and I killed all these people and we stole all this money and we had parties and we were up all night getting drunk. Then I met Jesus and it's been really great ever since. No, 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 no. no. We point to Jesus. I was lost. Now I'm found. We point to, give your testimony. God has healed me. It's so wonderful. 
but make sure the focus goes on him, not on me. Because when the power comes, friends, it can corrupt very quickly. Having had the honour and privilege of sometimes touching teeny, weeny, weeny, weeny bits of God in healing and stuff, it very quickly can make you think, well, actually, maybe I did that. No, it's purely the grace of God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, amazing grace. I could have told you a story today about a cruel and wicked man called John Newton. Why would I have told you that story? He was a slave trader, a wicked and cruel man. And what did he do? He went on the X Factor and he said, Amazing grace. And he won. Could have told you about a slave driver and his amazing grace. Bible's full of stories about evil men who experienced the amazing and wonderful grace of God. But as I say, the majority of us are not really evil, baddie, baddie, baddie. The problem is we are born sin. Good person, nice person, you were born sin. I remember when my children, oh dear, they're probably listening to this. <laughs> when my children were young, I sat them down, I said, right, well, now you're 18 months old, when mummy says, when, when mummy says, come to the table and have your dinner, you say, no, I won't. Uh, and then, if I say to you, you can't have any sweeties, I want you to say, that's not fair, and I want you to push your little sister over, because you've got to teach your kids to be naughty, haven't you? Is that right? No? No? Oh dear, we did something wrong. Well, so, who trained their children to be naughty, or their nieces or nephews? Do you think that proves that we're born sin? We have to train them in righteousness. We are born sin. So even that naughty child becomes a charity worker, we're still born sin. Today, we can start an amazing journey with Jesus based on his amazing grace. It's all of him. It's not of me. Where are you getting your approval from? Are you trying to please men or God? I just turn around and show you the big L plate on my back. Or the big H for hypocrite. Still working on it. Still working on it. Maybe after Andy Murray wins tomorrow or whatever, (laughs) after the Grand Prix this afternoon, whatever, perhaps you'd just like to sit in your garden or drive to Sainsbury's. Just take five minutes. I'm not saying forget everything. Just take five minutes and say, God, I want to thank you for your amazing grace. Can Can we talk about stuff? Can you help me? In this journey, can you take me on? Can, can you show me true gospel, Jesus Christ, not just religion? It's a chance to do business with God. Now, last time I was here, last time I was here, we had a look at um, a gift, didn't we? Anyone remember the gift? Oh, Peggy, do you remember about the gift? Yeah. Okay. There was a gift. And what did Peggy do with the gift? She, she ate it. <laughs> she received it. Okay. So I now need a volunteer who trusts me. Oh dear. Okay. I now need a volunteer who doesn't trust me. Who's going to risk? Oh, Janet. Please come. On. Don't give a round of applause because it's just so worldly, isn't it? Come, come sit here. I'm going to ask Janet some very deep, personal 
and invasive questions. I forgot to mention that. That's all right. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Well, no, actually, do worry. Very afraid. Right, Janet. You all right? No. no? Good. You're about to get... Okay. Janet, um, um, you're a lovely lady, as we know. Um, were you born sin? Yeah. Um, have, don't want any details. Have you ever sort of sinned or done anything wrong? Yeah, okay. Okay, That's, this is good, isn't it? Are you getting the picture? Okay. Have, um, have you talked to God about it? Yes. Okay. Did you ask Jesus to come into your life and forgive your sin? Did. You did? This is good. Okay. Did you receive him as Lord of your life? You did. Excellent. Nice and easy. So, if you're born sin, what do you deserve? It begins with punny. Punny, punny. Punishment. Okay. So, so strawberries. The man's, a, the man's a prophet. Okay. Okay. So, you deserved punishment. Absolutely. But because of Jesus, what have you now received? Oh, yes. You received grace. Okay. So, I would now like to um, punish you. Uh, oh, no, no, sorry. I would now like to show you grace. So, you put that on your lap. Please don't. It's not a casualty. Don't throw up in it. Okay. So, yeah. How's it going? Right? Okay. No, don't worry. I'm not going to hurt you. So, when God... Um, so, so you deserve punishment, yes? So God wants to bless you. bless you. So God wants to bless you. Okay? Okay, God wants to bless you. What's that? Melon? Okay. What does God want to bless you with? Fruitfulness. God wants to bless you. With fruitfulness. Just remind me, what did you deserve? Punishment, separation from God. Yeah? And what does God want to show you? He wants to show you his amazing. Okay. It's getting better. I just realized we don't need a food bank, we just need to preach every Sunday and people get all the <laughs> This is the thing, my friends. This is not the thing, my friends. Isn't it nice? Can I have one? Oh, no, right. There you go. Thanks. You see, we, we, you see, God is so good because we deserve punishment because we were born sin. No matter how good I've been, we deserve punishment. But we have a God who is full of amazing grace and he doesn't, doesn't just forgive us, say, there, 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 come into my kingdom. Naughty but I love you. He says, I want you to bear fruit and to be fruitful. Thank you, Janet. Enjoy your afternoon. Okay. No, no, you keep it. What are you going to do with it? Eat it. Good for you. Okay. You see, God offers us a gift, and that gift is Jesus. And we can accept or reject that gift. Steve showed us last week that it's Jesus plus nothing. Cut all this stuff away. It's all about Jesus. We need to receive the grace of God. We can't... <laughs> Catch? 
it, it's about the grace of God that once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. We deserve punishment, but God wants to bless us and he wants to make us fruitful. Beacon, he's forgiven us. Let's be full of Jesus and let him by his grace make us fruitful. Should we just pray? Father, we want to thank you so much that you're a God who has dealt with separation. When there was separation between us and you, you made a way in sending your son Jesus. And we want to thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, you're not like me, making nasty judgments and all the rest of it, but you are good and you are truly the fountain of goodness. And I pray, Lord, for people that don't yet know you, that they would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, that, Lord, you would give them a revelation, a revelation of who you are. And for my brothers and sisters who've already met you, I pray, Lord, that in your grace, just by resting and responding to you, they would receive grace and that we would become a fruitful people. In Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.